Just Nanny Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Miller, and I'm delighted that you're here. Today, I am so excited to introduce my guest, Lisa Hansen. Lisa is my younger sister and a mother who I deeply admire. We're going to be talking a little bit today about learning to fall. More on that later. Lisa, do you want to tell us a few things about yourself? Sure. So I am... A uh, mom to six kids, aged 15 to two. And um, a long time ago in another life, I went to college and got a degree in nursing. Um, I don't work right now, but I'm just full-time stay-at-home mom and grateful to be able to do that. And in my free time, my sanity time, I love to read books. I love to go for hikes. We live by the mountains, so I love the outdoors. I love trying new recipes And I love hanging out with my kids when I feel like it. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. And tell me a little bit about, because I've gotten to watch you as you've come into mothering all these years. Tell me a little bit about the difference between how you mothered your oldest versus now kind of how you mother your youngest. That's a good question. A good example of this is probably the other day I walked into my kitchen to find my two-year-old sitting on top of the kitchen table, coloring with markers, even a Sharpie marker. And instead of my old self, probably if my first child had done this, I would have panicked and been like, oh my gosh, she's sitting on the table and she's drawing with markers and it's a Sharpie. Instead, I just like looked at her and I thought, well, Good. She's coloring on paper and <laughs> just like kept on with things. Obviously I took away the Sharpie and got her to sit on the chair instead of the table, but probably a lot more relaxed and uh, seen a lot more things in my years of parenting. So I guess just reacting more with ease rather than panic. I still react with panic or anger sometimes, but, um, I feel like time has helped me to mellow out, I guess. And, and just see the kids for what they are and, and what they do and recognize it is all as part of the experience. I love that. When you tell me that you are able to see them for who they are and what they do, what is the contrast to that? Like, what would it be maybe the way you would have approached the, their development 10 years ago, 15 years ago? What's the difference now? I think I would think about it like just relinquishing more control to the child rather than me wanting to keep them within this sphere of what I expected them, how they expected them to behave or what, what might be the perfect child or what I think is best, um, or what I want instead recognizing that the best thing for my kids is to let them discover the world themselves and just accepting them where they're at. I think my son that we were going to talk about today has really helped me learn that lesson that, you know, if you can be outside maybe what you think the norm is, but still be thriving and amazing, I guess. And so just letting, just letting kids 
be who they are, take meeting them where they're at and, and supporting them from there. Thanks for sharing that. I can attest to your ability to do that. And it's so fun to watch and it inspires me to, to be a little more laid back and just more accepting and more open to watching development unfold. I think this ties in well also to the conversation we're going to have today about learning to fall. So I'm going to tell a story to introduce this topic, and then we're going to apply it to a few different scenarios. About six years ago, when my daughter Jessica was getting confident on her training wheel bike, we started to talk about taking the training wheels off. During a visit to our favorite bike store in San Antonio, Jessica started riding around the store on one of the bikes with training wheels. They had bikes out and available, and they welcomed you to test out the different bikes. So every time we'd go in, she loved grabbing a bike and riding around the store. I got to talking with one of the employees about how close she was to having the courage to ride training wheel free. He looked at me and said, can I give you a piece of advice? I welcomed his feedback and he said, teach her to fall first. I looked at him kind of funny as he continued. And he said, I've taught all my nieces and nephews to ride. And that's the first thing that I do. It works every time. Once they feel comfortable falling off, they're not afraid to ride. I thought that made a lot of sense in kind of a weird way. So I told him thank you and thought about it for a minute before asking him how you go about teaching a child to fall off a bike. He told me a few tips. And so in my enthusiasm that day, we got home. I grabbed the tools and took Jessica's training wheels off took her out to the grass in front of our house and proceeded to teach her how to fall off a bike. I taught her how to put one leg down to catch herself when she got tipsy. I taught her how to know when it was time to ditch the bike and hop away. And I taught her how to get back up once she'd fallen down. She was making a lot of progress. So we put the bike away before she got burned out. And then we went inside to do something else. We proceeded that way for several days, practicing falling until it became routine and she had some muscle memory around how to manage a bike that was decidedly unbalanced. The following week, we took our falling practice from the grass to the concrete, as instructed by the kind worker at the bike shop, and then finally to the asphalt. Admittedly, the bike had a few scratches in it at this point, but Jessica's skin was in good shape and her confidence was soaring. Satisfied that we'd managed to learn how to fall, I started teaching her how to ride. That story has both practical and figurative applications. So, Lise, let's fast forward to this year and your six-year-old son. He was born shortly after the aforementioned fall-off-the-bike tutorials. Tell me a little bit about his personality and the process of teaching him to ride his bike. Awesome. Um, Yeah, Nolan is, he is super smart. He is tons of fun. He is curious and he can also be hesitant and analytical. He's very analytical, always thinking through things like how things work and what, you know, what's going to happen next, that kind of thing. And so I think when it came to riding a bike, his analytical side was really getting in the way for him, which is funny because he's also really impulsive. So it's funny that someone could be impulsive and analytical, but... (laughs) 
but he is. But I think that's why it took him so long to learn to ride the bike. And we tried everything. He had a balance bike as like a toddler. He had the training wheels for forever. We had one of those trail along bikes where it's like the third wheel that attaches to the back of his, my husband's bike. And he would ride on that. Great. And we're like, okay, he's totally knows how to balance. Like he's going to be able to do this. We tried moving the training wheels up higher. So they were a little off the ground. We tried taking one training wheel off. We tried just forcing him to try it without it. And he just would not do it. He just kept freaking out. And he was getting to the point where he was almost seven. So he was outgrowing the training wheel sized bikes. Like the next sized up bikes don't have training wheels. So he was like, we really needed him to learn to ride the bike without the training wheels. And I like we tried bribing him and and finally one day I was talking to you about it and you told me that story about teaching him to fall off first. So that's what I did. I pitched the idea to him. I was like, hey, buddy, so you know what Auntie Lynn's was saying? And Auntie Lynn's has special power in his mind and heart too. So I think that helped. But, you know, just, you know what? We forgot to teach you how to fall off first. Like we just need to teach you how to fall off. And then you'll figure it out right away. And for him, he just, as soon as I mentioned that, like he starts the wheels in his head start turning and he's like, he, he got it. He's like, okay, I can see where this is going, you know? So we, I showed him how we could do it on our backyard where there's the driveway with the grassy hill. And we started out just riding a little on the driveway and then going down this small grassy slope where he could practice the fall offs. And for him, since we tried riding the bike without training wheels before, like it only took him maybe three times of practicing falling off to get the confidence where we then gradually got further and further back on the driveway. And before you knew it, he was, he was riding the bike and he was so proud. I mean, just grinning ear to ear proud, like, and that's when he's like, let's ride to grandma and grandpa's let's ride to auntie Lynn's and show everybody what I just figured out, which was awesome. It was awesome. His little, yeah, his face, he just was like elated. You could see he was just written all over his face as he powered his little legs around the, the pedals as he, as he came by. I loved it. But I'd love to unpack the story a little bit with you. He had already watched all the other kids, well, the ones older than him, learn to ride, right? Like he'd already seen them successfully riding on two wheels. Do you think that had an influence on his... Um, willingness to engage with it like and not be successful um I think he it maybe frustrated him a little seeing that the others could do it and he was too scared but I think he really was just stuck in the fear mode like he was just really stuck there so I don't know that he was even getting to that like point of envious of others success or anything like that or even aspiring to the success not even envy just you know aspirational he just was so scared okay yeah do you feel like that was he aware of 
the fear? Like, did he know that's why he didn't want to do it? Or was he just kind of flooded with it and didn't, didn't articulate that as much as he just like rejected the experience of it? Did he say, no, I'm scared. Or did he just say like, I don't want to do it. Yeah. He was just at the, like, I don't want to do it. I can't do it. I don't want to do it. You know, he was just so afraid of falling. Um, but he was just so stuck on the idea of falling and getting hurt that he couldn't even see that that's what was holding him back. You know, in his mind, it was a potential injury that was holding him back, not himself. And I think it's a lot like anxiety in general, where we get so stuck on a fear and we forget to ask ourselves, and then what? You know, we we can't even allow ourselves to think through it. We don't get specific and we can't realize we can't make the jump to realize that most of what is holding us back is just our minds, not the potential threat. So I think that's where he was sitting. That's really well put. It's interesting to me that he embraced learning to fall so quickly because it seems counterintuitive, right? But it seems like once you addressed it and he could kind of put his finger on the fear you were offering him a bridge out of it, like you said, right? Offering him the space to move from where he was at currently and what was holding him back to where he wanted to be. And there was a clear pathway through that anxiety he was feeling. Is that right? Yeah, well, and just relabeling the falling down from something bad to like a skill that could be acquired and be an asset to him, you know? It was like falling down is bad. Falling down will hurt me. And instead being like, oh, actually, I could get good at falling down. Okay, I hear you. Like, you know, like I I think I could do that, you know? Yeah. I mean, in terms of a practical lesson in teaching kids to ride a bike, this has a lot of gems in it, right? Yeah. And then also from a more figurative place, it has a lot of life lessons because So frequently kids do have some level of fear around not measuring up, not doing something great, right? What, talk to me about that application. So I think the first thing that comes to mind when you say that is I think about my, now she's 15 now, but last year she was 14 and in um, musical theater at school and they had to do this show at the end of the year and she was super nervous to get out there like, you know, 14 years old is really an insecure time. And she had had the confidence to try out for a solo and had gotten one and but was really nervous about it. And, and then afterwards, it was like this awesome parenting moment, but, you know, just asking her her thoughts and feelings about it. And after the fact, and she goes, well, I learned that confidence is a lot easier than it looks. You just have to do it, you know? And I think, I don't, I mean, it's different than riding a bike and learn to fall off, but it's the same idea where you just, you have to wrap your head around that the idea that you might fail and fall down, but you can get back up again and it's okay and normal and expected to fall down and you can get good at it. Yeah. Normalizing the process of whatever it is, falling, not measuring up messing up, doing something less than you anticipated, all of that, and making that the, the skill, right. And making that the space, that's the, the actual strength or the thing you're going for. 
Yeah, not the end result, but the stuff in the middle. That's a good way of putting it. Valuing that, the, the part in the middle rather than the end. Yeah. I know when I was teaching this to Jessica, the experience came at a good time for me personally because I was navigating a stretch of motherhood with some hard experiences, specifically around grief and loss. And I had wanted to really protect her from that. I wanted, um, you know, as mothers, I think our natural inclination is to protect our kids from as many things as possible, right? Like hurt or injury or frustration. Sometimes, though, it's just like riding a bike, right? Life invites us to teach them resilience when we'd rather teach them security. Life invites us to teach them how to fall when we'd rather teach them how to fly. I was having one of those years when I was teaching Jessica, and instead of helping her to avoid hard things, I was effectively teaching her by example and in words how to fall down in life and get back up. And while it was hard for me to come to terms with it at first, eventually I realized that this idea of teaching our kids to fall is an inherent part of parenting, right? Like you were just saying, it's a moment when it's going to serve them for the rest of their of their life. And so as I was helping her get back up off her bike and learn to fall off her bike and simultaneously like dusting myself off emotionally and, you know, trying to move forward with resilience, it was really resonant for me because I realized so many of those moments, while they're rough and hard and scary, they ultimately lead us to this place of strength that is hard to get any other way, right? Like you said, with Nolan and riding, he couldn't actually develop the confidence and ability to fall until he had done it consistently, multiple times, and seen that he came out okay and that he could master falling. So talk to me a little more about this. Any other activities or instances come to mind in terms of your kids? Because you have such a wide range of development going on in your house right now. Can you think of another space or example of when this idea of learning to fall served one of your kids? I mean, most recently, it was just potty training my toddler <laughs> for the third time. <laughs> um, Love that. But, yeah. You know, she it's there's like I feel like there's so many everyday everyday things where small failures and acknowledging them and talking about them and then moving on and learning learning from them and moving on you know you can find those there there's definitely big ones in everybody's life but you can find the little ones all the time like with the toddler learning success with using the potty and and having times where we fail and and just keep trying or uh, think about <laughs> another one is, is this happened to me twice and it's largely a mistake on my part, but not communicating with the carpool moms so that my sixth grader got left at school after school on her first day of middle school. And this happened with two different of my children, like years apart, but um, you know, and just like the, the experience that was for my daughter who got left behind by the carpool in an unfamiliar place and, you know, a really big day in her life and just being able to talk through that and me acknowledging my error and the error of, you know, the other parent and the fears my daughter experienced and problem solving, like, what could we do differently if this happened again so that you're not ending up in that scared place and, you know, what can I do differently on my end and recognizing humans make mistakes. 
thinking about just last Sunday was for me, just one of those days as a mom where I just, I had to have a moment and lay down and cry. It was just life got the best to me. I was exhausted and overwhelmed. And and every once in a while that just happens. I think um, when you're a mom, you just have to have a good cry. And my kids saw it. And instead of, I don't know, trying to, trying to hide from them, they just, they saw me crying and guess what? They reacted with love and compassion because they've had a lot of opportunities to see me fail and acknowledge a wrong or, you know, get back up and, and themselves have had experiences of things not going right, or just, you know, those feelings being overwhelmed or not up to the task. And my oldest daughter was like, guys, mom needs a nap today. And, you know, she tried to keep the kids quiet and got them out of the house. And my other daughter was like, I'll make dinner for everyone today. And it was just a good moment as a parent to be able to recognize that it's okay for me to not, not have it all, all the time. And that there's good things my kids are learning in that experience as well. Yeah. And it's such a great way to illustrate the power of that vulnerability that comes right when you're just, when you say, I can't, I need support or I can't do it. I need a break. I need, I need something in this moment, whether it's to cry, whether it's a nap, whether it's all of the above and how sometimes it, it can make us feel like, Oh, human. We just like are really in touch with our humanity in those moments, right? Like I try to be super mom all the time and I'm actually just a human mom. Like, <laughs> and how so, so often where it can feel like uh, maybe a blow to our self-esteem or confidence, it can really end up being like on the flip side, such a gift to see what comes from that kind of vulnerability and that kind of admission. Like, Hey, I need some help. I'm really struggling right now. And then to see the compassion that you've extended to the kids circle back to you, like when you've created space for them to fall in their own ways, how they can then reciprocate when it's your turn to fall and how if falling can be part of our family cultures that we can create this atmosphere of compassion that results and can be really empowering for everyone. Yeah. That night at dinner, I, cause I was thinking about that. Cause I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily feel good to fall down. Like even if you've done it a lot of times, like it doesn't feel good. But just, I was thinking that day about the idea that I think in our world today, it's really easy to peek in on these carefully crafted stories of people's successes in life, you know, on social media or podcasts or in the news or wherever, you know, just, even in chatting with other moms at the playground, we talk about all the awesome things our little kids are doing, but we, a lot of times can gloss over the, the falling down parts. And so I think we get this idea that if you're struggling, then something's wrong. The reality is that all of us have struggles in some way. And so I was asking my kids at dinner that night, as we sat around the awesome dinner that I didn't have to make, I said to my kids, I said, what do you think about this statement? If you're struggling, something's wrong. And my 11 year old immediately piped in and was like, well, that's not true. She's like, if you're struggling, it just means you need to learn something. And so then we just talked about that idea, how it's easy to fall into the trap of, of believing that idea that something's wrong with you if you're struggling. And 
And I think, yeah, if you're struggling long-term, like we always need help, right? You need to ask for help when you're struggling, but just because you're in a struggle, just because you've fallen down doesn't mean something's wrong with you. Yeah. That's a great conversation. And it seems like what you're describing in terms of what our expectations are either for ourselves or based on comparing our situation to someone else's that sometimes it's the expectation that lends the weight to it. And that lends that feeling of guilt or less than more than the actual experience. Like when we normalize the experience of falling and we normalize the experience of struggle and just make that a part of our expectation for life, that it comes and goes, that we can have a different relationship with it and not see it as a shortcoming as much as just an experience. But when we laden ourselves with a lot of judgment around it and how it, if it means we are not something, if we struggle or if we fall, it means we're not ever going to be able to ride. Then that's the place where it seems like it gets a lot more heavy. Yeah, I think, I think especially this year, we've had a lot of chances to brush up against uncomfortable situations with the pandemic and just all the different things going on in our country and, you know, leaning into that and being curious about it rather than judging our ourselves or just getting stuck in the fear or the, you know, discomfort of that unfamiliar situation. I think we, we have a lot of opportunity to learn if we can allow ourselves to be comfortable leaning into those uncomfortable feelings. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that process is more valuable in the long run anyway. Right. Again, this process of leaning in and experiencing what there is to be experiencing and then coming out on the other side of it with a greater level of resilience, allowing our kids to witness that teaches them a lot more than watching us go through life unscathed or unruffled by anything and unaffected by the pandemic or seemingly, yeah, seemingly perfect. If we put up that image for our kids that we never fall, then it makes it harder for them to accept their own falling and it makes it harder for them to see what it looks like to get back up. Yeah. We hear a lot of times that once you learn to ride a bike, you never forget. It's just like riding a bike. Do you think resilience is like that too? Yeah, I do. And I think I, I'm hoping that the earlier kids can learn that, the easier it becomes. Not that the difficulties you experience in life are any easier, but maybe just the process of picking back up is a little more comfortable. I think there's a difference between easy and comfortable. I don't know how you necessarily articulate that, but you know, you can be com- you can be comfortable with difficult things, right? Yeah. You develop your ability to face them, to walk through them. And I think, you know, I've done this before and I can do it again and do it even better. Then that idea 
just can become part of who you are and, and who you're like your identity and just part of your confidence. Which is a powerful gift to give children and, and ourselves. Lise, do you have any last wisdom or insight for parents who are trying to be more patient with themselves as they learn to fall and get back up? I, I would just say, keep trying. The more you do something, the easier it becomes. And that's what I always tell myself. I, I might not have done that right this time, but I'm going to look at the experience and take the good from it and learn what I can and try again next time. So I think, I think we're all just as parents doing that, you know, just keep trying, keep showing up and, and being real. And I think it is going to turn out for the best. That's great. I will share this quick story and then we'll close the other day. uh, My daughter, Jessica got a, a C on her math test. And there was a part of me that remembered getting ice cream whenever I got A's on my report cards and a part of me that was really always well rewarded for these great grades. Right. And uh, so when she came to me with this C, I had this reaction of just like, Oh no, you know, just, there was the end of the world, not literally, but just that there was a gravity to this situation that I needed to address with her pronto. And I took a minute and I stepped back and then I said, I think we should celebrate. And she looked at me and she was like, what? And I said, I think we should celebrate. C is average. I mean, let's celebrate being average. And she was like, really? And I was like, yeah, let's go to Bahama Bucks. What do you want to do? Let's go celebrate average. And she, she was like, okay. And she started warming to the idea, like, okay, I could get on board with this. And so then we, I, the whole way there, we were talking about what, av- what it is like to be average. Like, Hey, that was totally average. I just was, it, sometimes we have average days. Sometimes we have average tests. Like, could we just embrace average? And so it was great because we had this dialogue and this small celebration around average. And then for me, I was like, oh my gosh, I hope she doesn't like come back to me on her next test and be like, mom, I got another C, let's go celebrate. You know, I I had all these worries, like, like worries, like you said, I'm going to, something's going to go amiss because this didn't turn out just right. Like I'm going to, I'm going to lead her astray in this way. Um, Anyway, she came back on the next test and she was like, hey, mom, I got an A. Can we go to Bahama Bucks and celebrate that? (laughs) So that's when we came and picked up your kids and went to Bahama Bucks to celebrate. (laughs) But I think that there's so much beauty in just allowing. And like you said, just the, uh, the effort to keep trying. And I wonder about that test. Like if I had been really hard on her and if I had been really frustrated and just like, what are you, were you not paying attention? Did you check your answers? You know, like what did you, I know sometimes you don't work out the problem on paper and you try to do it in your head. You know, (laughs) like if I had let that be the dialogue, if it would have been as easy for her to just try again the next time. But by like normalizing that process of in this way, she was falling from the grade she was expecting, right? Or like you're saying, normalizing those parts of development that aren't pretty or our own responses that aren't pretty and like, go ahead and just celebrate our averageness sometimes and let that be the thing that is 
really great in that moment and then let it go so that the next time maybe maybe we do knock it out of the park like maybe it's really we have this great response but if we're stuck just I hear what you're saying is like if we get stuck on that and we we hold ourselves up to this certain level or our kids up to this certain level and we don't just allow what is to kind of play itself out and trust that the accumulation of intentional choices and the accumulation of goodwill is going to be in the end what tells the story more than the moments when we fall down or we we give up it's the moments when we show our resilience when we keep trying when we just give ourselves the benefit of another shot those are the moments that are going to define like our parenting our children and their growth more than the times when we get frustrated that it didn't that there was a fall or that it didn't look the way that we we wished that it would yeah and the only thing i would add to that is just how much i have come to enjoy the opportunity to to talk with my kids about okay well what did you learn like what did you what are you going to take from that you know that was your best in that moment and i'm proud of that and what did you learn you know yeah, maybe it's not the ideal, but you did what you could. So what did you learn to, to take forward and leave the rest behind? Those are some good conversations, good opportunities to talk to our kids, I think, too. Yeah. Yeah. Letting the education around the fall be in the form of like questions and curiosity as opposed to just like when you started out with Nolan, what do you think would ha- would change if we just taught you how to fall? How would that change your experience right now? And letting that, just that line of questioning and that self-determination of kids, like let them learn the thing that they can learn in that moment. And it may be a different thing than we learn as parents. It may be a different thing than they learn the next time, but giving them the option to take it as a growth experience. That's really beautiful. Thank you so much for your wisdom and sharing your experiences and perspective, Lise. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Until next time. 